We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today, so I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to that passage. And while you're turning, though, I want to, I want to get a little interaction. Um, I want to ask you a question. I, certainly, I want everyone to answer this question in your mind. But if you, know, if you, want, to, uh, if you want to answer out, out loud, that's great. If you want to raise your hand or if you just want to pop out, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. I thought if George Pridmore was here, boy, he'd just pop out and give me an answer. He used to do that all the time, even when I didn't request it. So if some of y'all want to do that in, in, uh, in the spirit of George Pridmore, that's fine. But I want everybody in their minds to, uh, to answer this question. And the question is, what is a reasonable offering? What is a reasonable offering for a Christian to give? Okay? I mean, let, let's think about that. I'm sure that is a question that most Christians ask at some point in, in time. And, and there's different answers that people would give. What's a reasonable offering? And if you throw that out there, a lot of people are going to say something like, well, um, well, let's think about the tithe. You know, and the concept of a tithe might come up and, and, you know, a percentage of giving. And there's a lot of teaching in the Old Testament about tithing, and then people might even get a little deeper into the context about, are we talking about net? Are we talking about gross? And there'd come a, that whole conversation. And, and then folks would talk about, well, well, no, but hey, look at the New Testament. It really focuses on generous giving. And so and the answer might be, well, a reasonable offering for a Christian is generous giving. That is what would be reasonable and, and some folks would talk about, rather than percentages um, or even kind of a, a more um, subjective answer like generous, some people would say um, a cheerful gift because God loves a cheerful giver. So give a cheerful gift and that's reasonable. Others have a certain amount fixed in their mind. You know, um, I, I've known people that it didn't matter what they made. They just kind of had an amount that they dropped in the plate. If I put my 20 in the plate, then that is a reasonable gift. Or if I drop my 100 in the plate, or if I drop my 5 in the plate, for some reason they get stuck on a number, and that to them, that is a reasonable amount. That's a reasonable offering for a Christian to give. Now, some of you may have had some answers that didn't go any of those things. Maybe it wasn't a dollar amount or... You know, um, I, I don't know, but there's, you see where we're going. There's lots of different answers that different believers may come up with when we ask what a reasonable offering for a Christian is. But Romans chapter 12 gives us a different answer, and that's what I want us to look at today. This, this question, what is a reasonable offering, is the first of three questions that we're going to ask and answer uh, in our time in God's Word today. Would you stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, 
His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly than you of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members I do not do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Let's pray. God, I pray that you take this passage of Scripture and that you would use it to help us understand what an offering as a Christian is ultimately all about. Lord, how we may best honor and worship you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> What's a reasonable offering for a Christian? And that question kind of sounds like maybe you're looking, someone might be looking for a cop-out, kind of like... You know, I don't want to get too carried away. I don't want to be a cheapo, but I don't want to be too carried away either. Just give me a reasonable offering as a Christian. And the Bible's answer to that question, what's a reasonable offering? The Bible's answer is your life. A reasonable offering to God is your life. A reasonable offering for a Christian worshiper to bring to God as you come to worship is to say, God, here is my life. Here is my body, a living sacrifice for you. A reasonable offering is my life. On the one hand, that is huge because that is so much bigger than just something that you put a pin number in for a debit card or a check that you write out. On the other hand, some people are like, oh, so it's not about money. Okay, preach on, Brother Tim. I like this message. You're not talking about dollars and cents. Let me just say that your pocketbook and your purse comes with your life, okay? It's part of you. If God has you, he has your calendar, he has your debit card, he has everything. All right? So when he says, your reasonable offering, not El Cheapo offering, not way out there extremist offering, but your reasonable offering, your logical offering, that if everybody looked at all the facts and, and totaled them all up and said, what's a reasonable offering for an average, everyday, ordinary Christian to give, the answer Paul says is your life. Wow, that is huge. So here's the second question. You like how fast we're moving? We're already on to point two. First, first question, what's a reasonable offering? Answer, your life. Second question, how in the world is that a reasonable answer? 
how in the world is my life a reasonable offering? You know, because we, some of us, when we start thinking, if my whole life is a reasonable offering, let's, let's step back up. God, I'll go above 10%. I'll go 15. I'll go 20. You know, that's kind of easier than saying my whole life. How in the world is my whole life a reasonable offering, a logical, normal offering that a Christian should give to God? Very clear, easy, simple answer. Go back to the beginning of verse 12. Verse, I mean, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you. The word there is the strongest word you can use short of a command. He's like, as strongly as I can possibly tell you to do something without forcing you to do it, without making you to do it. As much as I can tell you, I want you to do this, you ought to do this, you should do this, without absolutely just making you do it, the right thing you should do, I urge you, brothers and sisters, why? In view of God's mercy. Romans chapter 12 turns a corner and he starts to apply and tell us the practical living of everything that he's taught, all the doctrine in Romans 1 through 11. And let me give you a limited partial summary of Romans 1 through 11. God's good. We're bad. Some of us Are religious bad? Some of us are irreligious bad, but we're all bad. Some of us try hard to measure up. Some of us don't try hard to measure up. We're still bad. All of us are guilty before God. Some of us have religious knowledge. That makes us even more guilty. So all of our religious stuff we tried to do, guess what? Even though we're more educated about religion... We're more uh, responsible because of that religious education, and we still fail to measure up. Those of us who weren't raised and educated in religion, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. That is, there's enough in creation that any person can see and declare there's something beyond me. There's a God out there. We are all accountable to God, and all of us fail. All of us fall short. All of us rebel Sad story. Bad news first. Here's the good news. There's a God who is not only so just and righteous that he cannot, he cannot, but, uh, he cannot fail to uphold justice, but he is also so loving and kind that he cannot fail to love us and to offer us a way out. That way out is not by him ignoring sin, but that way out is by him sacrificing His only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for us. And so Jesus laid down his life for us. So the message of Romans 1 through 11 is we've sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, that is the earnings, what we rightfully earned, what we deserve through our sin is death. That is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We earned a bunch of death and destruction and separation from God. But God, while we were still sinners, let his son Jesus die for us. And he's just, this whole thing in Romans 1 through 11 is about God's incredible sacrifice for us and this incredible grace and mercy. And so he starts off Romans 12, therefore, in light of God's mercies, because of these mercies, you should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, let's think about how that sounded to the average person in the ancient world and what the religious practice was then. In the ancient world, you would go to a temple. You were having a problem. You were having an issue. Maybe some of your family members were sick. Maybe you were having financial problems. You would seek the mercy of this deity, of this God that you were calling on. And so to try to get his mercy, to try to get him to do what you wanted him to do, you would bring an offering. And that animal would be sacrificed. It would be killed. It would be slaughtered. So it was a dead sacrifice, living, but then it died. It was sacrificed. And the hope was that as you brought this sacrifice and placed it on the altar of the temple of whatever God you were worshiping, that that God would see that sacrifice and would respond and give you mercy and help you through this terrible time that you were going through. And so it was this kind of thing where maybe if I do this thing, this sacrifice, for this God out there, then maybe I'll get lucky and that God will give me mercy and my life will be better. And what Paul says is the one true God of the universe has completely flipped the script. That old story that every single religion of all time has always followed this script of Weak little human, big, bad, angry God, always moody. Maybe I can make this God happy with me if I give an offering and he'll get happy with me for a second and then he'll do what I want him to do and give me mercy. Paul says, no more. That's not the way things work. God has already given you mercy. Instead of you coming up with the sacrifice, because all of your sacrifices are meaningless, they're worthless, they'll never add up or match up to all the sin you've committed, they will never be enough to get you where you need to be, that is eternal life and relationship with God, instead of you trying to do what you can't do anyway, God provided the sacrifice himself. God in advance already gave you mercy. He looked down at you before you were even born, before you ever called on him. He knew you were going to sin. He knew you were going to rebel. And before you ever even thought about loving him, trusting him, or obeying him, he said, I'm going to give her mercy. I'm going to give him mercy. 
I'm going to provide the sacrifice, my pure, sinless son. And he is going to be the sacrifice. And he is going to give mercy. And so Paul says, this explodes the whole idea of worship in the ancient world. And the Christians are like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If he provided the sacrifice and we don't have to bring an offering like a pig or lamb or goat or bird or and there's not going to be any more shedding of blood because there's been a once and for all perfect lamb of God whose blood has been shed, then when we come to worship, what are we supposed to bring? And why are we even supposed to bring it? Because the sacrifice has been made once and for all. And Paul says, exactly. God's already given you mercy. And so now when you come to worship him, whether together as a group of believers or on your own and you meet him in the morning or the noonday or the night, when you come to worship him, instead of bringing some dumb animal or some grain offering that you burn and you send smoke up to heaven, instead of something that you kill and this dead offering, you bring yourself. And the ancient people would have been like, no, we're not ready to die yet. And he says, no, a living sacrifice. And that would have been mind blown because sacrifices weren't living. When they got put on the altar, they weren't alive anymore or not for long. Remember what I said about priests and prophets in the old days? Don't think of them as meek and mild because they were expert butchers. They knew how to cut meat. They knew how to take things down. The idea of a living sacrifice, that just didn't happen. That was a contradiction. And Paul invented this whole new category. Like sacrifice, but not. Because you're going to keep on living. And since you're not doing it to get God's mercy, because he's already given it to you through Jesus Christ, you are giving your offering not out of a hope that if I give my body to Jesus Christ, maybe he'll bless me and give me more money, or maybe he'll give me that relationship or that house or that career or that blah, 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 blah that I want. Instead of this old type of religion where we do and we hope that we manipulate somebody up there somewhere so they'll do what we want. God has already done the thing that we need. The blessing, the mercy has already come. And God says, now you've already got that. So you do this out of a heart of thankfulness, out of a heart of joy. You don't have to manipulate me. You don't have to hope and pray that you'll get mercy. I've already given you mercy. You don't have to bring an animal to slaughter. My son has paid the price on the cross. His blood was shed once and for all. So now, you bring yourself. And instead of dying, you live 
for me. And you live for me, not to try to make me do what you want me to do, but you live for me because you love me. You respond to the love that I first sent to you. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. And so if you are a believer and you actually care about God, if you don't have a heart of stone, if you actually respond and are grateful to God for what he's done for you, then worship is not just an act of duty. It is a privilege. It is an ability to thank God with your life for what he's done for you. So what's a reasonable offering? Your life. How in the world is that a reasonable offering? Because God has already saved your life by giving his son's life. He has already given you the mercy that you need. And so it's a reasonable offering because you get to simply not hoping and praying that maybe he'll give you mercy. You know he's already given you mercy. And you're able to just bask in the glow of his mercy and grace and just to say thank you, God, for what you've done. You're just simply able to live in such a way that honors him. If you've ever been in a place where you have lived in a way that it brought some honor to your mom or your dad or your grandma or grandpa, and someone pointed that out, and you had that feeling of knowing and knowing that it made them proud. That's just the tiniest little bit of a feeling of what it's going to be like to know that our lives have brought honor and glory to God. Final question. How do we present that offering? How's the way that we actually go about presenting it? Let's just say, let's go back to the old money analogy. There's different ways we can pre present a money offering, right? In the pre-COVID days, we used to do this crazy thing called passing a plate, right? You know, we kind of actually have people's hands touch a plate that went person to person. Doesn't that sound so icky and gross now, right? Uh, so strange, so odd. Maybe one day we'll go back to that. Who knows? You know, now we have a plate right there, a plate in the back. Some people mail in their offering or tithe checks. A lot of people have theirs. They text to give or they sign up to where it comes out. Some folks go directly out of their banking account. It comes in. Some folks do a little debit card thing. We even put a slide up there sometimes. It says, here's the way you can give. We have a thing on the, on the website. So, so there's lots of ways you can give, right? And then there's different times. Like, you know, some people give weekly, monthly, quarterly, every couple weeks, whatever. You know, it's different. So how do we present this offering of ourselves. We serve the Lord with our whole lives as part of the, what's the word in your mind? It should be church. As part of the church. 
we have an issue in Christianity today. And especially among Protestants. And I think it's probably almost all Christians, though. The church, and I'm talking like big universal church, had some issues. Church has always had some issues because guess what? The church has been made up of imperfect people like you and me. But there were some issues and it caused some things. There was already one big division between, you know, Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic. But then there came out some, besides that one, then there came some more things, you know, the Reformation and all that. And people thought, okay, well, we, we need to straighten these out and I'm not going to get into all the nitty-gritty of that. But there's some stuff that happened that, let me tell you, none of those people, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, none of those reformers ever planned on ever happening, somehow filtered down from all that. We got to a place where people started saying, you know, I can just be a Christian and just not bother with any of those other people. Somehow we went from a place where maybe there was some stuff in the church that wasn't exactly the way that it should be to where people thought the church is some kind of optional thing. It's me and Jesus all the way. And that's all I really care about. And you basically might as well just take your Bible especially the New Testament, and start flipping random pages and start ripping them out, if that's what you believe. Because on every page of God's Word in the New Testament, especially there is the idea of the church. We were meant to be part of the body of Christ. We were never meant to be solo. We serve God in this passage. How do we do it? As part of the body of Christ, as a member of the body, we function. And not like a Sam's Club member where you pay your fee and you get in at the door and that's it. No, like, a, you know, when you're a Sam's Club member, you're not a member in the biblical sense because you don't work for Sam's. Okay, all you do is you pay them some money. That's not what membership in the biblical sense is all about. Membership means you're on the team. You have a specific job. You have a specific function. You are known. You are loved. You are included. This is about you. You're not just, this isn't just your activity period where you choose something or something you sign up and join to be a part of. This is something that you are vital in. Every part matters. You know, something my mom um, always talked about with my dad um, was his hands. She talked about this when they were married. Now that he's passed on, she still talks about, and, you know, she didn't really talk about other things. I mean, I'm sure there were some other things that she, that she liked that she just didn't share with her son. Thank you, mom. I know you're watching. Thank you. Didn't share any of those other things. But, mom, you always talked about, the hands, She's, you know, because my mom has uh, her maiden name's Kornman, German background, um, precious, I think, beautiful little hands, but they're kind of, 
you know, she didn't think so much because they're, they're kind of maybe a little stubby a little bit. You know, they're kind of cute little hands. But, but she loved my dad's hands because they were long and slender. You know, dad was six foot one, tall, lanky, and long, slender fingers. And she always talked about those hands. And she just loved his, those, those long hands of his, those hands that he had. And she just, that was something. But, you know, as much as she loved his hands, hands wasn't going to do it for Doris Lee. Hands alone would not have been enough. Hands were part of the package, but not the total. All of us, we focus on different things. When something is missing or something's hurting, I am very aware right now of my kidney and my bladder. Let me assure you, when a kidney stone is working, I forget all about my heart and lungs and brain and feet and everything else, and I'm focused on certain body parts. But all of it, all of it matters. All of it works together to make one Tim Lee. All right? And all of us together as members, as parts of the body, work together to make the church. Part of our worship is that we live our lives in such a way and gratefulness to God for the mercy he's given us. We give our lives to him alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ to do his will, to build up the kingdom, the church of Christ, to spread his name, the gospel, and the glory of God. We do all of that, not as Lone Rangers, and by the way, even Lone Ranger had Tonto, so he wasn't really alone. All of us do it as part of a team. All of us do it together. God never meant for us to be alone. God meant for us to walk in community. One another. I've told you this before. One of my favorite vocabulary words when I was forced to take Greek. I'm horrible with languages, but going to be a minister, they make you take these classes. And I took a, a Greek class, a bunch of them actually. And there was this Greek word called alelone. And I remembered it because it meant one another. And I memorized that vocabulary word because alelone meant you're not all alone if you're with one another. And that word is all throughout the New Testament. Love one another, bear with one another, be kind to one another, pray for one another, put up with one another. Over and over and over, God says, one another. We live out our faith among one another. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We lift up one another. Every so often, we have to have a little talk with one another. But life as a Christian is looking at the amazing grace of God that we have received as a free gift through Jesus Christ. If you haven't already received that gift, you can receive that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by putting your faith in God. Say, like, I trust what Jesus did on the cross for me. You receive that gift, and in gratefulness and in thankfulness that he's provided the ultimate sacrifice, 
You simply show up with your life and you say, here's my reasonable offering, God. Here's what I logically, reasonably owe you, my life. Because you gave your son's life for me. You not only created me, you redeemed me. When I went rogue, when I went stray, you brought me back. And I love you because not only did you create me, you redeemed me, you restored me, you ransomed me. And I'm going to spend my life loving you and loving the others just like me that you created and just like me, they have strayed and just like me, they've got rough edges and just like me, they need grace and just like me, they need mercy and just like me, God, because you love me and you love them, I'm going to do my thing together with them to serve you. What's your reasonable offering to God? Your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to understand God, it's not about amounts or even percentages. Lord, it's about our hearts. You, you want our hearts. You want all of us. You want to know that we actually care. That we're actually grateful and thankful for the amazing sacrifice that you gave. And in light of that, it's only reasonable, it's only logical, it's only natural that we give our lives in service and worship to you. Father, if we, if any of us have slipped from that knowledge or maybe we've never come to it before, wake us up. God, clear our thought processes. God, Get rid of the junk that this world has filled our minds with. Help us not to conform to this world, but to be transformed by your word, renewing our minds by coming to you and listening to you and your word. Help us to give ourselves to you, to serve you with one another in the body of Christ the bride of Christ. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.